Hello everyone and welcome back to Sabbath School from Home. We're stepping through Psalms and in this episode we're going to be looking at the idea of singing the Lord's song in a strange land. Obviously the Old Testament um, Israelite people literally experienced foreign lands in their exile and at various other times in history. But the lesson also takes it in a few other directions. So we've got a few interesting things to discuss and I'm looking forward to it. My name's Lachlan. Yeah, and my name's Cameron. Um, look, the psalm that it's the natural one to turn to is one that we've done before, which is, is it 137, 147? By the rivers of Babylon, um, mm. we worked. Now, that, we did that in our first season, and I went and listened to it the other day, and I, I thought it was an interesting discussion. It seemed quite <laughs> new to me. Um, <laughs> very strange hearing your own voice impart to yourself what seems and feels like new ideas. Uh, so uh, any of our listeners who want to can go look at that psalm as a sort of a, a, a double taster of this week's topic. Yeah, that's right. We're deliberately trying to choose fresh psalms, um, mainly because it's it's very valuable and interesting for us to be, um, I guess, forced to expose ourselves to more of the, the biblical material and also because uh, it's there's plenty of psalms to choose from. So yeah. we've we've got a number of other a number of yet we have yet a number of seasons we can fill yeah. before we've run out of psalms. Exactly. <laughs> the one that we're going to look at is Psalm seventy-seven. Cool. I'll uh, start off. Look, I might read the first half. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God. I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I considered the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favourable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I'll appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep, with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. <laughs> mm, like it's not a psalm I know well. No, I felt the same, especially the second half. I, I felt there was a gear shift. Um, yeah. As a lot of these psalms that we've been looking at do seem to exhibit, the they open oftentimes with a, a complaint against God. Something's not, not going right, and I want you to know about it, God. Mm. And then the gear shift is, okay, it hasn't changed, but I need to change the way I'm 
contextualizing this. I need to remember God's faithfulness or I need to choose to trust um, or I need to make a decision to focus differently. Uh, That seems to me to be present here and in a few of the other Psalms we've recently read. There's also an element like of of preemptive thanks to God. Uh, God, I've made Mm. this complaint. All right, I know you're a God who hears, so I am satisfied now. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Um, In that sense, and I think this is a helpful observation right up front, I don't think that this psalm is attempting, or or any like it, are attempting to be a template for the entire process of coming to terms with difficult situations. Um, I think they are snapshots into parts of that process. And, and I don't think that we need to necessarily look in a psalm like this to say, ah, if I am feeling this way, then here are the three steps. And at the end of it, everything will be good in my life. I, I don't think this psalm necessarily even ends with everything good in the life of the author at all. It just ends with the author having chosen to recall specific things in order to focus on gratitude. Um, it's one way, of, one way of seeing it. I'd like to jump in... Uh, and have a look at verses uh, five to nine. Uh, but what jumped out at you? Um, I was going to say that one of the, if you were going to identify steps, um, you know, you can identify steps at different levels. You can say, ah, we must, we must cry to God because that's what the psalmist does first. And then we must, um, I don't know, uh, moan. It says moan. All right, well, that's what we do next. And then, and then we have to consider <laughs> the days of old. You can also, though, um, extract principles, which are perhaps steps at a slightly mm. more abstract level. So one of the things you can say is, uh, we must be honest. Yeah, yeah. There's a the the hinging point, it seems to me, of that gear shift I referred to is in verse eleven. Uh, I recall all you have done. I remember your wonderful deeds um, of long ago. The recalling and remembering great stories from the past, I think can actually be a helpful encouragement for mm. enduring in the present. Mm. Can be. Well, the I mean, I said in the intro, the, the Israelites in the Old Testament certainly experienced literal periods of time in foreign lands, in strange mm. lands. But the Sabbath school lesson this week takes that in a slightly different direction and, and identifies that for the Christian, seeking and living the heavenly kingdom of God as revealed by Jesus, there's a sense in which our whole world is a strange land. The The domain of sin makes yeah. it strange. Um, and well, on, on that note, Philip Yancey once uh, noted, I think his wife worked at a hospice, so providing palliative care to people, and the people who had fairly comfortable, affluent, successful, easy lives were terrified of death. And the people who had endured much hardship and poverty used to laugh and say oh you know this world's not my final home i'm just passing through just passing through (laughs) um and so there there is a sense in which like this is a healthy mindset yeah um uh, there's also a sense though in which it really flies in the face of what a lot of christians profess so the sort of health wealth theology the worship of powerful and affluent people which Mm. is as prevalent in Adventism as other denominations. And, um, you know, the well, we don't need to go into lots of particulars, but um, historically Adventism has a slight um, inclination towards dictators. 
<laughs> That's an interesting observation. Yeah, Adventists mm. were by no means, you know, quick to condemn Hitler. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's, and, uh, you, know, I, you know, we could go into some sort of murky waters and open many cans of worms. But, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the sort of Christian faith that applauds and, and circulates a picture of Donald Trump praying devoutly. Mm-hmm. Even though that picture lock, um, I don't know if you saw this story, it's a picture of doing the rounds on social media of Donald Trump praying devoutly, but he has six fingers on each hand. Uh. It's, it's an AI-generated image. <laughs> and the AI algorithm got it wrong. But, you know, that, that sort of idea of here's someone who's successful, God must be with him. Mm, mm. Um, is is not at all in keeping with the idea that this world is not our final home. Yeah, yeah, um, that's that's a really interesting thought. I guess the question the question to reflect on is: Do I feel inside me more as if this world is the strange place, or more as if the kingdom of God, as described by Jesus, is the strange place? Um, where Ooh. do I feel more at home? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. We're very convenient, and I know this is getting back to themes we talked about before, but um, if, for instance, taking environmental action uh, impinges on our economic interests, mm. Christians are very quick to say, oh, this world's not our final. It's all going to burn one day. Mm. Um, we don't have to look after this world. We can. God put it in our hands, so we're in charge of it. Um, he's going to come and destroy it soon anyway, so... If it moves, shoot it. If it doesn't, chop it down. Mm. Um, so, you know, one suspects that broad philosophical um, statements are not actually that useful yeah. in many ways. And this is what Jesus said when he said, hey, you know a tree by its fruit. See what it actually mm. does. And um, I know that getting back to a political example, if you say to people in the US, which is highly polarised, if you say to them, do you believe in big government or in small government? Oh, you'll you'll find a, you have a room full of a hundred people, and you'll end up with a massive partisan split and great, um, you know, arguments on both sides because you started at the ideological end, and people identify very strongly on ideological mm. statements. If you say to them, "Hey, do you think we have a problem with with um, our justice system sending too many people to prison? We're incarcerating more people than any civilization ever has in the history of the world. One percent." Mm. The population's in jail. Do you think this is a problem? You put 100 mm. people in a room and you'll end up with two fruitcakes who can't agree and 98 people will say, oh, yeah, there's a problem. And yeah, then, you'll get consensus more quickly, won't you? You get consensus. And um, this has been tried and tested. So um, in terms of, you know, is this world our home? What am I trying to say? We often make statements like that serve our interests mm. instead of us serving the principles of the statement. Yeah, so... That's an interesting observation. Here's a subtle way that I think it unfolds. Uh, the very dominant picture, view of the world within the Adventist Christian community, and, and I think, honestly, within much of Protestant Christianity and, and probably a lot of Christianity full stop, is this, is this sense of deterioration and decline. Sin is becoming more rampant. Um, the The... The world and the world's societies are becoming less in tune with with the the way that God calls us to live. Um, the evil is prospering more than ever. 
And and the reason that I say this comes up a lot within Adventism specifically is because our focus on the the soon return, our focus on the Advent part of Seventh-day Adventism is almost universally described in the context of um, Jesus needs to come but soon. Just look around at how bad the world is. It clearly needs to be rescued. And I don't want to sound like I'm just totally dismissing that. I think there's there's a huge amount of meaning that can be provided into lives by that kind of by that kind of view that there's so much that need that isn't right. That, that sin is impacting the world. Th- things in my experience are not the way God would love them to be. And mm. and I think all of that is true. But then I'm reminded uh, in this context, uh, and, and that's the just before I say what I'm reminded of, that is the sense in which the lesson this week seems to invoke this this foreign land kind of notion. Yeah. Well, we, we're staunch remnant followers of God and the world around us is going more and more off the rails and is feeling more and more with each passing week as as a foreign land that is that is unrecognizable to our um, you know Holy Spirit tuned sensibilities. That I'm putting lots of words in the mouth of the lesson, but that was what I felt uh, in sentiment. Hmm. Um, and yet this afternoon I had a conversation at work with a colleague where we were discussing remarkably parallel line of thinking to this particular topic. And I was making the claim that I genuinely see the world as being on a trajectory that is getting better, not worse. Um, and I know this is you know, textbook kind of glass half full, glass half empty kind of things. But the thought experiment that I'd love the listener to try just for a moment is, if you had to be born in any place, to any family, in any gender, random. in any time, at random... If if all of those axes were going to be chosen by random number generators, random rolls of the dice, and you were going to be reincarnated according to the outcome of that random assignment, when in Earth's history would you hope to be born? And my contention is that it would be now. Um, sure, and this is what I said to my colleague. Sure, I, I happen to be a white... Um, English heritage, European heritage, ma- male, <laughs> um, uh, not not even to get onto other factors around, um, you know, family background and socioeconomic status and all, you know, all manner of other things. But the point I, I could say, take me back 150 years, I would have more mm. influence in my world than I do now uh, because I would be more powerful in my world. Yeah. It, it's, I'm not sure that is true. But it is possible for me to argue that it's extremely different, difficult for a an Aboriginal Australian to say, take me back 150 years. Now, an Aboriginal Australian might want to say, take me back 350 years uh, before all of this colonial stuff yeah, messed up well. our world. And and fair, I, I, I recognize that there's nuance to what I'm saying. But yeah. um, a, a woman, would you really want to be born 150 years ago? What about even 50 years ago? Um, it's an interesting question to ponder. Um, yeah, and there's uh, 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 you know skin color and geography. What about being born into places where heaps of people die easily from fairly preventable diseases that are spread because of poor sanitation? Is is that really? Do we really claim that 
that that would be vastly better than where we are now? This well, is this is the interesting thing is, to ponder. Well, this is the interesting thing also, uh, Locke, in, in, in which you say, how does it map against the sin axis? Because mm. we do maintain that evils such as infant death due to poor sanitation are the result of sin. Mm. It's a different sort of impact of sin to, for instance, greed in the human heart. Yeah. And I, was, I would suggest that if you're going to go to people doing wrong, then uh, sin seems to have remained reasonably constant. <laughs> we, just have, yeah. we just have more modern ways to do wrong in. Like, you know, you think of the telephone scammers who, you know, mm-hmm. do vulnerable people out of their life savings and stuff like that. This, mm. With mm. school, with school, schools always have honour boards over which they're, you know, alumni have gone on to win Nobel Prizes or whatever it is, you know. But no school ever has a a dishonour board, as it were, of all the people who've ended up in jail Um, (laughs) because of precisely precisely using the knowledge they learnt at school to do wrong. And and you would imagine that every school could write quite a lengthy list. Um, Mm. So, you know, are are we at home or are we not at home? You know, um, it's hard to imagine, for instance, that this world is less our home, that, that we are more out of place in the world now uh, than in the time of the ancient Israelites where they lived in cultures that frequently sacrificed their children. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. You'd have to say the Israelites, however imperfectly, um, you know, treading a new path where you could just sacrifice a sheep instead of your kids. Mm. That's definitely, you know, saying this world's not my home. Yeah. So, so, you know, on the moral dimension, I just think it's a very difficult... What's easier to say is, I think your question earlier is the better question, not in general across the average human experience of a Christian following God, do they fit in better or worse to their contemporary culture now than they would have done 20 years ago? Because that's, mm. that's a statement the abstract. The question... Um, where am I most comfortable? Yeah. It's perhaps just a bit more fruitful way to... And when we sit and speculate things, times at the end, let's look at are things getting better, are things getting worse, where are the signs at the end? We're always looking at big scale things. Mm. Um, and I think sometimes that makes the devil smile. Yeah, that's if, an interesting thought. Yeah, because maybe, maybe we should be not thinking about the end of the world. Maybe we should be thinking about that colleague in the office who really drives us crazy. Yeah, where we yeah. have a hard time just being charitable and polite to them, um, and then you ask yourself the question: Right, well, what sort of person am I going to be? You know, where am I at home? Mm. And I will just work to create the world that I'm most at home in. I think we all do that. Yeah, that's why why Trump wants to be president. Well, yes, and I think there's an element here that this is why I wanted to zoom in on verse five. It, it literally uses the phrase, at least in the the New Living Translation. I think of the good old days. <laughs> I mean, good old days is is a very tired cliche, really, in in yeah. in, in our English culture. Um, what I have just attempted and, and to it carries with in the it last, lot. yeah, uh, the good old days carries a suggestion of um, false. Um, what is it where you're wistful for the past? Um, uh, nostalgia it, almost. Nostalgia, or, um, yeah. Mm. An artificial and false nostalgia. When someone talks about the good old days, yeah, 
it almost carries with it a suggestion that days are being remembered more fondly than they were experienced at the time. Yeah, but there's so this is what I want to zoom in on. It's a very common sentiment, um, almost universally encountered. Um, I have just attempted to articulate that I'm not convinced many of the older days were any more good than the current days, and especially for a, for a vast a vast majority of the human population, I think many of the old days were a lot worse if if you actually stop to honestly engage them. But we still instinctively feel they were better, and. I think a big part of this is simply we live just one anecdotal experience. For almost all of us, the old days were good. We were young. We were kids. We had less responsibilities. We had less stresses. Yeah. I mean, any, any given person, almost any given person, you say, was the world better when you were 20? It definitely was in their anecdotal view of the world. In their experience, it was vastly superior for yeah. almost everyone they were stronger they were fitter they were you know the 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 social aspect of their life was flourishing and dynamic that you know everything was new everything was exhilarating everything was exciting yeah. i wonder how much this impacts the continual collective sentiment that the older days must have been more good they were better um because it seems no matter how no matter who you talk to, the old days were good. And if it's your grandparents, the old days that were good were before your parents were even born and the world was already pretty much going downhill when your parents were born. But if you talk to your parents, it was when they were finishing high school. That's when the good old days were. Well, um, you know, I've, I have an interesting perspective on this because people told me when I was at high school, oh, enjoy, enjoy these years. Um, you know, these are, these are the best years of your life. And my immediate response was... What a discouraging thing to tell someone. <laughs> they're, only, they're only like a fifth of the way through based yeah. on life expectancy. And you're going to tell them that the next four fifths is not as good. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's such a miserable message to tell, tell to a young person. And it's not yeah. true. I wouldn't go mm. back to the insecurities of high school. Mm. Mm. But I think um, as any individual person travels through life and ages, there is an absolutely inescapable fact that their perspective on the world changes. When you are young, your perspective mm. on the world is a perspective of hope and of anticipation. So many opportunities lie before you. Um, when you are an elderly person, it is not true that so many opportunities lie before you. Things you once were competent at, you lose competency. And you can't just say, oh, that's all right. I'll pick it up as a skill next year. I'll practice it and I'll get good at it again. Because, because it's, not, it's no longer physically possible yeah. you know, or, or, well. or, or mentally possible or whatever. And so your view of the world automatically shifts. It's no longer a view of anticipation and excitement about the world. It's a view of reflection um, about what has happened. Look through what happens here. Um, yeah. The in verse five, verse. Uh, this is when the the author is in a state of distress. I think of the good old days, long since ended, implying that the current days are not as good. The the goodness of the old days have ended, not just the mm. days. That's what it seems to imply to me. Uh, the good old days when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Um, can you see it's this psalm? Mm. 
is talking about the experience of feeling dislocated, but it's yeah. also just talking about the almost universal experience of traveling through a single human life. Yeah. Yeah. This is, and C.S. Lewis was once asked, how should we behave in an atomic age? He said, well, how should you have behaved in the 1600s when people were dying of the plague? Much higher proportion than a dying. Yeah. How, how should you have behaved in an era of earthquakes? How should you have behaved in any, in fact, how should you have behaved in a world where death was not a um, probability, but a certainty in any case? Mm. Um, so that was his response to the, wow, things have suddenly gotten worse. Yeah. Uh, and he said, well, no, they, fundamentally they haven't gotten worse. He said, you are all going to die, and most of you, in very uncomfortable ways. Um, we have the advantage these days of anaesthetics, but we still have anaesthetics, mm. even with atomic weapons. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, that was his sort of very clinical response. But you're, you're right. The fact that this sort of mindset, you know, suggests... There's a sort of um, infusion of the conservative mindset. Things were good and they're slipping. Um, mm. Is not a reason to discredit it because it is a part of universal human experience. Yeah. That, so, um, and what the psalmist is saying is even in these times, uh, we can appeal to God and we can remember him. We can remember the things he's done. And, mm. of course, one of the things that the Christian message does provide is even in those times there is a sense of anticipation. Yeah. And it's interesting that the that the psalm doesn't given that I've just commented on the distinction between hopeful anticipation versus reflective consideration of the past, the the psalm doesn't go on to explore how these are still the things that I believe are yet to come. The psalm goes on from verse 14 15 down to the end. Um, uh, the the by your strong arm you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The the Red Sea parted. The uh, you know, it looks back in reflection, and it just that's where it lands. In other words, it's almost accepting. Hey, this is pretty much what human experience is like. You get to the point where the only thing you can do is look back, but actually that's enough. You know, the things that you can look back on are themselves capable, if you let them, of sustaining hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, I mean, one of the things about tradition, um, Chesterton said, tradition, orthodoxy, is the most democratic institution that we have because it gives votes to the most obscure minority, those who are dead. Mm. So it is allowing the experience of lives before us to inform our life. Hmm. And there's there's a sense in which um, there's a sense in which uh, we live so far outside our own lifespan even. So much of what hmm. we know and experience and what our life means to us is built on culture and experience and you know long term. And then of course we think and dream into the future. Hmm. You think of the people building cathedrals that they knew they'd never finish. And that the yeah. person who took over them would never finish, but one day it would be finished. Um, you know, there's there's a sense in which I, I guess one of the things that I see in this psalm is, and this is perhaps a better way of saying what I was trying to say, is um, our immediate experience is so imminent, and there just are times where you look around and you say, "Look, if I was going to base it off the last ten minutes, 
mm. or the last 10 days or the last 10 months, yep. last 10 years, um, I just can't see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Yeah. Has the Lord rejected yeah. me forever? Well, I'm going to just have to expand my time window out a bit, which is uh-huh. so hard. Yeah. I mean, mm. this is the... This is the this is the seven year old boy who just needs a band aid now. Yeah. For something that you know will disappear in five minutes. It's like yeah. a slight <laughs> graze. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um on the subject of things getting better and worse, look, um my understanding is that the term the fall is is not used in Genesis. And not all traditions built on Genesis refer to the event as a fall. In a very real sense, humanity grew in both its experience and knowledge of good and evil. So Mm. I've commented on this before, but um, when God said to Noah, I'm going to destroy everyone, Noah said, okay, I'll just do what you say. You want Mm -hmm. me to build a boat? I'll just build a boat. Um, When Abraham, when God came to Abraham and said, I'm just going to destroy that city, Abraham said, oh, no, Mm. no, you know, what if there's 10, what is there, 50, 20, 5, five 10? Um, and he argued with God. Yeah. And when um, God said to Moses, I'm just going to destroy these people and turn you into a great nation, Moses said, no, block yeah. my name out of your book, but he, save them. Moses did not attempt to argue, oh, but some of them are good. He said, even yeah. though they're demonstrably breaking your law, still don't blot them. Yeah. And you, you mm. have to say in that context, and you compare, for instance, Adam and Eve in the garden hiding from God yeah, to David when he's confronted with his wrong. And it is true that it takes some time and Nathan the prophet mm. has to go to some length. But when, when he breaks through to David and he has that point of repentance, he writes a song about everything that he's done wrong to be sung in yeah. public to explain to everyone that he is the one who's done wrong and that God is just in punishing him. And, hmm. and that he runs straight to God and he pleads to God for his son's life. You know, when you said, you know, any time in human history, where would you like to go at the roll of the dice? It's tempting to say, oh, pre-fall. Yeah. But it is not the case, based off the biblical narrative, that Adam and Eve yeah. knew God better. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, that, probably, that probably stirs up a few cans of worms depending on on exactly what picture you have of the um, the the tradition that informs your picture of some of these things. But certainly I find it most resonant, you know, in line with what you've just said, I find it most resonant not to see Revelation painting a picture of Eden restored. It's not Eden restored, it's Eden fulfilled. It's creation completed. And, and even at the end of the Genesis creation week, com- creation is not completed. The week is done, but... There were there were instructions to the to the created things to multiply and fill the earth. There's a very real sense in which God's intent has not yet been realized. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when you read in Revelation, there's a very real sense and tangible sense in which God's intent has been realized and accomplished and completed. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't think the Bible paints a story of God had a plan and Adam and Eve knocked it off the path and he spends the rest of the bible getting it back to where it was i think god had a plan adam and eve knocked it off the path but he spends the rest of his interaction with creation getting it to where he always wanted it to be 
not necessarily where it was. And that subtle difference, that subtle difference works really well for me. And I know that other people Mm. have very different thoughts and I'm I'm very happy to acknowledge that, but it works well for me. And that I I also want to point out when I've earlier in this episode made the, the suggestion that, that in many ways the world is getting better. Um, I, I don't think that this needs to be an argument that gets resolved. Is it getting better or is it getting worse? I think in some ways it's getting worse and in some ways it's getting better. And it's exactly that tension, that juxtaposition that um, provides the fruitful ground for followers of God to be agents of his kingdom in yeah. partnership with the Holy Spirit. Better and worse, obviously. Uh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was going to add in a facetious yeah. comment, but one of the problems is that there are many events um, that can be characterised as getting better or getting worse differently depending who you, who you talk to. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah. I remember when Gurrenbong was going through a stage of development and there was loud, loud outcry in the local paper because the, the true spirit of Kurenbong, which is where near where Locke and I grew up, um, the true spirit of this small little village was... Um, being lost mm. by the development. And um, Arthur Patrick wrote a letter in and he said, well, of course, we all want to defend the true Kurumbong. When I was born <laughs> uh, in Kurumbong, yeah. I was born in the front room of a house. Um, yeah. uh, there was, I don't know if there was road ac- good road access, reliable road access. I think people boated. No, I think there was road access, but there was... Anyway, he, his parents had a horse and cart. They didn't have... Yeah. Yeah. The whole of Kurenbong existed on one and a bit streets. Yeah, I think um, at the time he's referring to, there would already have been the rail access to Morissette and Dora Creek, but yeah. it may well have been creek, uh, barge and boat up the creek from those yeah. train stations too. Yeah. Kurenbong. So his point was, well, all the people who are complaining now about the new development yes. have benefited from previous developments that for him destroyed long ago what the yeah. <laughs> what the, the what he felt... The, the true Kurumbong to be. So, yeah. you know, are things getting better? Well, this, is, the, getting worse? this well, is this worse? This is the problem of the good old days um, yeah. that, that we've just explored, yeah. But in many ways, this psalm is an antidote because this psalm is saying, oh, okay, so you're tempted to lament for the good old days. Mm. Well, just stop and ask yourself, has God run out of steadfast love? Yeah. I mean, really, yeah. has he has he forgotten to be gracious? Has he forgotten how? Um, yeah. As his compassion run dry, the compassion yeah. banks run out, um, and he can't spend any more compassion on us. You know, is is that what you're actually thinking? Um, mm. And what the psalmist here is saying, no. Um, okay, so you're tempted to think things are getting worse. Cast your mind a bit further back, or a bit further mm. back, or if it, remember what God does. And in you know, in these stories, the story about the Red Sea. He opened up a path which no one knew was there. The yep. people the people in that story definitely thought things were getting worse. Exactly. That's a great connection. Exactly. The people in that story at that moment were crying out, has God's promises failed permanently? Um, has he rejected me forever? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, this experience you're in, when you feel that way, is the way that people have felt in all those stories you love to tell. Yeah. Yeah. So has, has, God's, oh, that's great. has God's mercies, you know, and in that context, um, in that context, you know, where do we feel at home? 
are we in a foreign land or not? I think that if we keep this perspective in mind, that God's mercies mm. haven't run out, um, it, he hasn't forgotten how to be gracious. Uh, you know, his promises haven't ended for all time. Uh, yeah. In that sense, uh, we are at home in him. Yeah. I think that's great, and I think that's a that's the thing we were looking for, Cam. If we could have started with that, we could have had a much shorter podcast. But we we we've enjoyed the journey, and we've gotten there. So we'll we'll leave you with that thought and that challenge. I suppose we're always open to um, feedback. We're open to correction. We're open to comment and to question. So you can contact us at by email at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail dot com, and we hope that you decide to join us again next week for another episode.